It is Friday, July 16th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. We are four shows into our divisional preview series. You can find the NFC and AFC West episodes, as well as both South divisions, on DraftSharks.com, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you choose to get your podcasts. Of course, on the YouTube channel where you might be watching us right now. Today, it's time to get back to my boy Justin Fields in the NFC North. Before that, though, Jared... We got plenty going on on the website as well, including I just wrapped up my main event draft and I've got a, a full recap. I was just uh, quickly typing in the rest of the names into that article before we started this show. You might be the early team. To, there's a lot of main event teams to be drafted still, but no, no, yours is looking pretty strong. That's going to be the one I'm you know, gunning for when I do my main event draft next month. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody else's teams. I'm going to post my finished board in the Draft Sharks Discord without reminding everybody which team I am because I want to see some genuine reactions to what happened in that league but I'm happy with the way that first draft went and I'm also happy with the way things have gone in the DS discord so far yeah it's bumping uh Kevin did his Q&A last night you know spent a close to an hour I think answering questions completely free and we have some super smart guys in there I'm, I'm learning a lot from these guys so yeah really no reason not to jump in that discord it's super easy too I had never done discord before I'm old for discord I think but uh, it's it's super easy to, to get into and, and, again, completely free. Yeah, as soon as my son, who's about to turn nine, saw Discord on my phone or on my computer, I forget which it was, he's like, ooh, since you have Discord, can I get Discord now? It's like, <laughs> I will, we're going to have to think and talk about this before I'm ready to let See, you jump in, buddy. That seems fair. If Dad has it, I think he can have it. It does seem fair, but I don't even know exactly what Discord means yet. I know the Draft Sharks one is there. I don't know what else I have access to or what else have access to me right now. So I, I got to learn some more about it before I can decide whether I'm ready to unleash my son. I'm sure, Discord. Yeah. I'm sure there are some shady corners of Discord. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. But we'll get away from that. We'll get away from the life lessons. We got plenty more podcasts to discuss life lessons. Maybe that'll be a, a whole new branch of the Draft Sharks pods. Today, though, we're going to keep going with the branch that has the divisional preview series. And as I mentioned, it's the NFC North. And it starts with the Chicago Bears. And we always start with the relevant coaching changes. There's not really anything here. Matt Nagy heads into his fourth year as the head coach. Bill Lazor heads into his second year as the offensive coordinator. There was no discernible improvement last year over the year before. 21st or worse in yards, total yards for the Bears three straight years now. They went from ninth in scoring to, to uh, 22nd. Um, last year, they dropped in DVOA. I'm sorry, they were ninth. In their first year under Matt Nagy, then to 29th, then to 22nd in scoring the past two years. Last year, they were down in offensive DVOA from 21st to 25th. So, I mean, Bill Lazor came in, nothing got better. I'm going to guess that their move up in the first round to get the quarterback we'll talk about in a few minutes had something to do with that. Yeah, that's sort of been the story in Chicago for a while is you know, the, the, the lack of a quarterback. Hopefully, Justin Fields you know, solves that issue. The one thing I found interesting about the Bears last year, uh, you know, they, they threw it at, at 62.3% of their offensive plays. That was sixth highest in the NFL. They were only 18th, though, in situation neutral pass rate. So that this is a team where being behind on the scoreboard, I think, you know, elevated their pass rate. So if that changes this season, we could see that come down a bit. I think, you know, when and if Justin Fields gets in there, you know, his ability as a runner could bring that pass rate down too. So that was the one Interesting thing, I think, it, it, worth keeping in mind when eva evaluating the Bears heading into 2021. 
Yeah, and looking back over Matt Nagy's first three seasons, the Bears went 53.8% pass his first season, then up to 61.3, up to 62.3 the past two years. Their records in those seasons, 12-4, and 8-8, eight and 8-8. Eight, eight and eight. So I agree. It seems like they would like to run the ball more, but trailing more often the past two years has not helped them to do so. There was a report recently that Matt Nagy wants to get David Montgomery 20 carries a game, but if you read what he said, he said, yeah, because – if we're winning more, David Montgomery is going to carry the ball more late in the game. So that's our goal. He didn't say we're going to feed him 20 times a game and see what happens. So obviously they want to win more. That would help them run more. We'll see what happens on that front. Overall, I can't say that I'm expecting the offseason moves to really push things in that way. It's tough to expect a rookie quarterback to shove things more toward the winning side. We'll see. I think for our projection purposes, I expect it to be pretty similar to the past couple of years. Yeah, I brought them down to 60% pass, you know, down from 62%, which is, you know, still on, on the higher side. Um, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think this is going to be a, you know, 13 and four football team. So I, I still think you're going to, you're going to get a pass lean here. And if they do shift to Justin Fields, as you said, it's probably going to look like they're running the ball more just because he's going to take more dropbacks scrambling out of the pocket than Andy Dalton will. But We'll use that to transition to QB notes. Andy Dalton is the guy that they signed for $10 million this year to be their QB one, as they tweeted back in March. (laughs) But then they drafted the franchise quarterback about a month and a half later. So Matt Nagy keeps saying that Andy Dalton is the starter, that he's going to open season as the starter. But history says that that's not going to last. The NFL has drafted 58 first round quarterbacks from 2002 through 2020 on average the first start for those guys came in game seven and a half the median is game four so even the guys like Patrick Mahomes who sat out all year drive that average down and more often guys are starting in the first half of the season 36 quarterbacks have been drafted in that span among the top 12 in the first round the average first start there is game 5.35 the median is game three so we should expect to see Justin Fields somewhere at least before the middle of the season probably in the first quarter yeah, I'm with you. I expect to, him to be in there, you know, by October. I know people will point to Matt Nagy being in Kansas City when Patrick Mahomes sat for, you know, that that season under Andy Reid. Um, you know, a- Alex Smith that year was coming off an 11 win season and a 67 percent completion rate. It's it's not it's it's not a valid comparison. You know, Andy Dalton is not Alex Smith. I know people will laugh. You know, Alex Smith had a pretty solid career, especially in Kansas City. So I don't see even if Dalton wins this job coming out of training camp, I don't see him or the Bears playing well enough for him to, you know, hang on to that spot. And I'm pretty sure they went to the playoffs that year that Mahomes sat, didn't they? I mean, that's why Alex Smith was sitting out in week 17 and Mahomes got his first start. Yep, exactly. So looking at the Bears schedule too, two of their first three games find them going on the road to face the Rams and on the road to face the Browns. So those could be two rough outings for Andy Dalton, where if they're one and two at that point, it's gonna. It would be tough for me as a coach on the hot seat to not stick Justin Fields into the lineup in Week Four. Yep, with you again. And you know, I I do think Fields has a good chance to be a top twelve quarterback right out of the game. I believe in him as a passer. He has enough weapons. I won't say great weapons, but I mean, Allen Robinson is a great wide receiver, and there are some other pieces in Darnell Mooney, Cole Komet. You know, you have a couple of capable pass catching backs, and then of course Fields with the four four speed um, is going to add value with his legs. Matt Nagy, we've seen him do some, you know. RPO stuff with Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky actually averaged uh, a little over 21 rushing yards per game in his starts with the Bears. And, you know, he's a solid running quarterback, but Justin Fields has more upside in that department. 
Yeah, I mean, Mitchell Trubisky has been a top 12 fantasy quarterback at times under Matt Nagy. So if you get a guy that's way better than Mitchell Trubisky and better in all of those similar areas, I mean, the, the, the sky is honestly the limit for Justin Fields here if he gets in there. He's underrated as a passer. We've been over that. He's 99th percentile speed for the position. The receivers are good enough, I think, to complement him here. So it's just a matter of when he gets into the lineup. Obviously, the risk in drafting him is – you know, maybe Matt Nagy stays stubborn and keeps him out of the lineup. Maybe the Bears do win some games early and it further motivates them to keep Andy Dalton on the field. So the risk is that you don't have that quarterback, whether you're talking about a best ball team or a lineup management team, you know, we'll see. I'm willing to take that risk to a degree, obviously not just like throwing my team away to get Justin Fields on it. But as long as you can manage that risk with Justin Fields as a second quarterback in any format, I think there's a ton of upside to him. Yeah, I've been drafting him in best ball, and I think he actually has more value when we get to lineup setting leagues because then you're not, you know, having to deal with that zero in your best ball lineup. You know, obviously not taking the zero, but it's a, a spot that's not contributing. Whereas in lineup setting leagues, you know, you can just sit him on your bench if you need to for you know three, four weeks, and, and then you have him as an option to put in your starting lineup. Yeah, he is a particularly nice guy to pair with a stud quarterback, though, in a best ball lineup where, you know, if you get somebody like Dak Prescott or Kyler Murray that you know is going to be starting most weeks, then you stick Justin Fields behind them. And now you've got this, you know, QB one overall week potential from both spots in your lineup and you're really uh, hitting the, the rocket ship emoji. Yep, totally. Running back notes, David Montgomery, the receptions more than doubled last year after Tariq Cohen went down. 1.6 per game as a rookie, 3.6 per game last year. He dominated over the final six games, like what we mentioned with Jonathan Taylor. Only Derrick Henry scored more fantasy points at that point. Eight total touchdowns for David Montgomery over those final six games. Just like with Jonathan Taylor, though, definitely benefited from facing some weak run defenses among those final six Every single one ranked 18th or worse in run defense DVOA. And the four games in that span that were not against the Packers found opponents that ranked 24th or worse in that category. Yeah, all, all six of those teams were bottom nine in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs on the season. So he, he, he had an easier end of season schedule than Jonathan Taylor even. Um, yeah, I think that is somewhat baked into his ADP right now. I mean, he's the fourth, fifth rounder in a lot of these drafts. The big question is what his role in the passing game is going to be with Tariq Cohen back. Montgomery averaged three targets per game in the first three games of the year with Tariq Cohen. That bumped up to 4.9 targets per game without Cohen. It was an 8% target share with Cohen, 12.5% target share without him. You know, Cohen is expected back. You know, there are some reports, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, he's still still dealing with some issues with that knee. So we'll see about that. We'll see how Cohen performs in the passing game. I mean, he's been so up and down. He was first among among running backs in yards per route run in 2018, but sunk to uh, 21st in 2019. You know, Montgomery has been capable in the passing game. I think it's possible that Montgomery, you know, remains a bigger part of the passing game, even alongside Cohen than he was, you know, before Cohen first suffered that injury last season. I think he should because Tariq Cohen has been trending in the wrong direction, even in that area. We're going to have to assess his need during training camp and see how it is heading into the season. But I would expect that we see Montgomery keeping some of it, certainly not all of it. It's also worth noting, though, that even over the first nine games last year, David Montgomery ranked 14th in PPR points per game on just two total touchdowns. So it's not like he went from being a, a schlub in the first half to tearing it up in the second half. I certainly started draft season being wary of David Montgomery after the huge finish to last year, but then drafters are like, ah, David Montgomery is not that good. I think he started out in round three. 
Now he's regularly in round four. You can even find him in round five. I mean, he's an easy value, I think, at this point. Yeah, I mean, the the, the floor is almost like fourth-round value, I think, just because we know he's going to get that rushing volume. And then, again, if he does keep a role in the passing game anywhere close to what he had last year, you know, then I think you're getting one, two rounds of value on him as a you know fourth or fifth rounder. And getting Justin Fields in there can certainly help his rushing average too. Yep, yep. So Tariq Cohen will watch. Damian Williams behind them. Khalil Herbert is the rookie. I mean, I think we'll have to see how Cohen is through the summer before we can know whether Damian Williams or Khalil Herbert is going to be a thing at all. I think if Cohen's ready to go, not interested in either of the other two. And even if Cohen's not ready to go, I'm not all that interested. Yeah, I mean, Herbert, a late-round pick, I think, what was he, a sixth-rounder? So, you know, he you know he isn't a great bet for an impact this year. Damian Williams, you know, there are other people out there that I think are more optimistic about him than I am. He, he ended up getting a, you know, $1.1 million deal, only 125,000 guaranteed though. So, you know, he is cuttable if the bears want to obviously didn't play at all last year, had some flashes before that with the chiefs, but you know, never anything sustained. So I think at best Williams is, you know, a handcuff to David Montgomery, but I don't think he's going to be a real, you know, sap on his, his fantasy production. Yeah. Not a cuff I would want to make either. Pass catcher notes, Allen Robinson, wide receiver nine in PPR last year with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles throwing in the ball. Wide receiver seven in 2019 with Trubisky plus one game of Chase Daniel. Of course, we all remember the 2015 season where he broke out as wide receiver six, despite having Blake Bortles as his quarterback in Jacksonville. Sixth in target share among all wide receivers in the league last season was Allen Robinson. Now he should be getting a quarterback upgrade, even if even with Andy Dalton versus Nick Foles, Mitchell Trubisky last year, that should be at least a slight upgrade. And then, you know, the ultimate ceiling for Justin Fields is a bigger upgrade over both of those guys. Yeah, I mean, what, what's not to like about A-Rob? I've, I've been drafting him a bunch in the, you know, the back half of round three already. Um, like you said, top nine wide receiver in two straight seasons with crappy quarterback play. Only DeAndre Hopkins has more total targets than Allen Robinson over the past two seasons now. That, that volume should remain, I mean, you know, Darnell Mooney, even if he pops, is not going to be a, a big volume guy. And, you know, there's there's really not much else as far as competition beyond that. Allen Robinson's still just 28 in August, so he's still in his prime. He's going to play this year on the franchise tag, which I always like. And he's kind of playing for that big next contract. So, yeah, he, he's been one of my, my, my favorite picks in the back half of round three, anywhere in round four. Yeah, kind of a crowded area of the draft, but I do think he stands out as an upside player among the players that you're considering at that time in the draft. Darnell Mooney, as you mentioned, not going to be not likely to be a target hog. Played just 32% of the snaps in the opener last year, but then after that, he never dipped below 60% the rest of the way. 74% or more snap share in nine straight games from week seven on. 23 deep targets for the year last year. Among 31 wide receivers who saw at least 18 of those, according to PFF, only Darnell Mooney and A.J. Green fell short of 200 yards on those deep passes. The median for that group was 301 yards. Mooney caught just four of the 23 targets in that range for 158, so about half of the median yardage for that group. So, again, I think even if Andy Dalton is a little bit better than what he had last year, there's a yardage boost coming. And then Justin Fields definitely can throw the deep ball. They could hook up well in that particular area of the field that could be a big yardage boost for Darnell Mooney whenever Justin Fields takes over yeah I, I think that deep ball is you know one of Fields' biggest assets so he he would seem to be a good fit with Darnell Mooney who, who was definitely you know if you if you watch Bears games you probably saw Mooney get missed downfield when, when you know he, he was open um, he has that sub 4-4 four, four speed 
Um, there was an article from the athletic, one of the bears athletic guys recently that said, you know, Matt, Matt Nagy's offense, you know, likes to take shots downfield, but he just kind of hasn't been able to because of the quarterback situation. I think fields will change that, change that. So I, I think, you know, Mooney's a guy who definitely should benefit from fields getting in there for Chicago. Yeah, I read that too, and it just made me smile to myself like, yeah, they're going to stick with Andy Dalton, who has never been able to throw the deep ball well over this gorgeous specimen of a deep ball throwing quarterback. I just, I can't imagine this Bears team getting to October and not starting Justin Fields. Me either. Anthony Miller is kind of an afterthought at this point, and it seems like he has worked himself to there, but he's still a solid football player. There's a chance that he could be kind of one of those out of nowhere, oh, yeah, I remember that guy, and he's catching four or five balls every week now. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't given up on him as a player. Yet. The, the, I mean, the Bears might have, it sounds like. I mean, he's still on the team as of now. We'll see, you know, when we get to the end of August if that's the case. Um, you know, Chicago did have the eighth highest percentage of you know, three-plus wide receiver sets last season. So, you know, they, whoever is that third wide receiver is going to be on the field. So it's, it's a situation worth monitoring, even though, you know, in lineup setting leagues, you're probably not going to be messing with Chicago's uh, third wide receiver, uh, you know, maybe for best balls, if, if we know Miller's going to be that guy, he might be worth a look as we get into August here. Yeah, I mean, he landed 81st among receivers in my main event draft that just wrapped up, for example. So uh, there's absolutely no risk there. The fact that he hasn't been traded yet makes me wonder what the asking price would be from the Bears because there were lots of rumors on him moving. And the fact that no team would be willing to give up like a day three pick, I, I guess I shouldn't say fact, but yeah. I'm guessing that there is a team out there that would be willing to give a day three pick for Anthony Miller. So the fact that that did not happen tells me that the asking price might be higher than that. Maybe the Bears still like him more than we might think. Yep, could be. Cole Komet, I think the last pass catcher, really worth mentioning here. Playing time grew for him late last season. 70% plus snap share from week 10 on. Over 80% each of the final five games. It was much lower than that in the first half of the season when he was basically barely part of the offense. Um 15.2% target share from over the final eight games, starting with week 10. Jimmy Graham over that same span, 8.75% target share. So Graham's still on the team, but they clearly shifted toward Cole Komet late last season. Yeah, I mean, the increased playing time was promising. You know, it's what you want to see out of a rookie. The, the you know production didn't really follow, though. He averaged uh, just five and a half PPR points per game over his final eight games, including that playoff game. You know, that, that would have been outside the top 40 tight ends. He also, Komet uh, also didn't fare well in PFF receiving grade and yards per route run. And he's a rookie tight end. I mean, those guys tend to get off to slow starts. Is definitely capable of taking a step forward in his second season. But I mean, again, just the fact that I don't think he showed a whole lot last year and that Jimmy Graham's just still around. Um, you know, that that, that kind of has me shying away from Komet, even at a cheap price tag. I mean, he's fine where he's going. He's just not a guy I've really been targeting. Yeah, that's where I would have him, too. I think it's encouraging that his role got as big as it was late in the season. Uh, it's encouraging that he's still, you know, kind of new to focusing on football. He was a baseball player primarily when he first got to Notre Dame and then kind of shifted toward a football focus toward the end of his time there. So, there should still be upside on his growth. That's also a reason to hesitate. He's around tight end 20 right now. I don't know the exact ADP at the moment, but you know, in that range, I think he's fine. He's somebody who could become a factor. And he's also somebody who could just not be all that helpful this season. Yep, exactly. So who to like among bears and drafts right now, Jared? Alan Robinson, again, I've talked about his ADP sitting at 401. I think, you know, that's, that's, you know, a good, good spot for him. And then Justin Fields, I mean, quarterback 23 right now in FFPC best ball. There, there's, there's no one down in that range with the type of upside Justin Fields has, even if you have to, you know, sit on him for the first, you know, few games of the season. 
Definitely agree with that. And I think for the first time since he entered the league, I'm going to mention David Montgomery as somebody that I like as a value. RB19 in FFPC, best ball ADP right now. You can find him sliding beyond that in some drafts now. As I said, you can find him in round five. And I know it's RB dead zone, but if a, if we know that a guy is the clear lead back for his team and he might even still be the lead or close to the lead pass catching back for his team this year, it's just an easy pick at that point. And we'll have to do a podcast on this RB dead zone because all the talk about RB dead zone has pushed all those RB dead zone running backs down like two or three rounds. And at some point they are valleys. I, I agree with Montgomery. I mean, he's not, he's not exciting. I don't think he's like a screaming Valley, but I think at RB 19, I mean that again, barring injury, I think that's close to his floor because I mean, he, he's going to get 230, 250 carries. And if he catches, you know, 30 balls, that's, that's enough to pay off here in RB 19 price tag. And then if he does, you know, catch another 40 to 50 balls and then, then he's, you know, returning a nice profit. Yeah, and it takes some convincing yourself, but if you're only drafting players that excite you, then you're leaving a lot of value on the board. Uh, who I don't, Damian Williams is the the bear that gets drafted in pretty much every draft that I really want no part of at this point. Yeah, haven't drafted Damian Williams, going to haven't drafted Cole Komet. I have him here at tight end 22. So again, not crazy, but it's, you know, there, there's two, three, four guys going behind him that I prefer. So I haven't been drafting much of him. Darnell Mooney's wide receiver 52 in ADP. I need to start getting some more of him. I've just been taking... Uh, you know, Marvin Jones, Corey Davis ahead of him. Um, but I, I do want to get some pieces of Mooney because I definitely see the upside once Fields gets in there. Yeah, I don't think Mooney is a guy that you want to take every single time in the range where he's going because of the other names that you mentioned. But I do think that he's somebody to mix in there, especially if you are best ball drafting and getting Justin Fields. I think they're a nice value stack where they're going. Yep, for sure. Detroit Lions, Jared, tell us about the coaching changes there. Yeah, brand new staff. Uh, head coach Dan Campbell. You know, he he of the he of the knee biting. Um, you know, he he's been in the NFL for eleven seasons now um, with Miami and New Orleans. Uh, you know, as a mostly as a tight end coach, he did he did have a you know twelve game stint as the Dolphins interim head coach back in two thousand fifteen. But it's going to be Anthony Lynn running this offense. Um, he's been in the NFL since two thousand. He was the Bills' offensive coordinator. That was his first coordinating job in two thousand sixteen. You know that that was a super run heavy team with Tyrod Taylor under center for Buffalo there. And then Lynn took the Chargers head coaching job uh, over these past four seasons now, 2017 to 2020. Uh, you know, they, they were a pass-leaning offense under Lynn, uh, the Chargers were. They finished uh, top 15 in situation neutral pass rate in three of Lynn's four seasons there. So you know, he is a former running backs coach too, so I think a lot of people would assume he's like a you know run, run, run kind of guy, but that wasn't necessarily the case uh, with the Chargers. It's going to be interesting to watch because Anthony Lynn's history has been favorable to running backs, but he's also been a questionable coach in terms of play calling and in-game yes. decisions. The Lions had, were the fifth most pass-heavy team in the league last year. They've been 60% pass or more every year since 2013. Anthony Lynn, though, his offenses over five seasons as an OC or a head coach have averaged 58% pass, so a little bit lower than that. Dan Campbell's five years in New Orleans, again, he wasn't the OC or, you know, head coach there. So who knows how much involvement he had in that, but he was an offensive coach five years in new Orleans average 57% pass. Um, they do look stronger in Detroit at running back and on the O line than they do at quarterback and wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure. Um, I mean, I mean, th this is a team where game flow, I think is going to, you know, sway their run pass split as well. Yeah. You know, I would assume they, they want to be a run leaning offense, you know, situation neutral, pass rate they'll probably be low but you know that the lions have a, a five win over under 
in Vegas, which is, you know, right down there with the Texans as the lowest in the league. So game flow is going to push them towards the pass a bit more than they like. Probably. I, I went uh 57 and a half percent pass for the lions this season, which we you know, again, as you said, would be a pretty big dip from last year. Yeah. I've got 58 42. I think that if this were a winning team, they would probably like to run the ball 50. Like they would probably like to pass 53, 54%. I don't think they're going to be a winning team, so I think it will push higher. And if they're terrible, maybe it pushes higher than that. But 58-42 for me for projections. QB notes, Jared, what you got on Jared Goff, your namesake? <laughs> I don't have much to say about the guy. I mean, he's – I don't know. I don't even want to call him underrated, but people probably bash him more than they should. I mean, he's fine. He's fine. But when you get into, again, what's going to be a bad offense with, you know, one of if not the worst wide receiver cores in the NFL, and Jared Goff's going to give you no rushing upside, there's no reason for us to talk about him any more for fantasy football. You know, he's at the bottom of our quarterback rankings. Yeah. I mean, he's noteworthy because all quarterbacks have a home somewhere, but uh, not a whole lot to like here. Did still check in 17th in fantasy points among quarterbacks last year, despite just 20 touchdown passes, but got some help from four rushing scores there. Got some help from Sean McVay's offense, just 20th in points per game, no high end games. Um, So there's nothing to get excited about here. He does, throw better in the short and intermediate ranges. So maybe that matches up well with what Detroit has in the running backs that we talked about in TJ Hawkinson, who we'll talk about soon. Doesn't look particularly good for the wide receivers that we'll talk about in a minute. But again, uh, there's the only thing to say about Jared Goff is if you're playing in a super flex or a two QB league, he plays quarterback. Yes. Running back notes. And uh, it's going to be, We'll have to see how much of this backfield is running game and how much of it is passing game because the guy to like here, if you take out where they're going in drafts, is DeAndre Swift. But the reason to like it is the receiving upside more than the rushing. I mean, I think Swift and Williams are going to play a big role in this passing game. You know, again, when we'll get to the Lions wide receivers, but you know, it might be the worst group in the NFL. So I think you're going to see a lot of the targets here going to the running backs and to the tight end position. You know, the the, the big thing in this backfield was you know the Anthony Lynn quote, Jamal Williams is my A back. DeAndre Swift might my, my be back. You know, that freaked everyone out about DeAndre Swift. If you're, I mean, if you read the quote, he's just describing what types of players they are. You know, Williams, the bigger between the tackles guy, DeAndre Swift, the, you know, outside the number space guy. He never said anything about, you know, how the touches are going to be distributed. So I, I think that quote got overblown. You know, I, Williams is going to be involved for sure. I mean, you know, I think if you ever thought Swift was going to be a, you know, 280 carry guy, you were wrong to begin with. So we'll see how the carries are distributed. I think Swift is going to play a big role in this passing game. He was really good as a pass catcher as a rookie last year. Sixth most catches per game, 12th most receiving yards per game by a rookie over the last 10 seasons. He was sixth in yards per route run among 37 qualifying running backs. He was 13th among those guys in PFF receiving grade. He was a good pass catcher at Georgia. So, you know, I think that that's what you're buying with DeAndre Swift and we'll have to, you know, see exactly how the carries will be split. Yeah. I mean, Anthony, Anthony Lynn did also say that he thinks Jamal Williams can do all of the things that are involved in playing running back. And the, the B back for DeAndre Swift is the get him out in space, work him outside type. The thing, I think that DeAndre Swift is more appropriately priced now. So I think that the quote from Anthony Lynn was probably good in doing that. DeAndre Swift was out of place in round two. I think you can make a case for him late in round three. Still not somebody that I'm really gravitating to because in round three, I think I still want to know what I'm getting in the guy that I take there. And I look at DeAndre Swift and I can say, yeah, I see the upside, but I don't know what his season looks like. And I can get comfier with that a couple rounds later. But in round three, I'm looking at him. 
I'm looking at some other running backs, like say Miles Sanders, David Montgomery. I, I know better what their paths look like. Chris Carson in the same range. I definitely like Chris Carson better, especially in the Seattle offense and the wide receivers. We already mentioned with Allen Robinson. So even if I don't want another running back, I'm saying, well, I guess I'll go ahead and take the Bears' number one wideout, who's been a top nine guy recently. Yeah, that's my thing. I've just been taking running backs in that range mostly. I, I do, though, if I need a running back, I, I do like Swift, you know, in the back half of round three. I just, and I, I'm not, I agree with you that guys like Carson, Montgomery, they're, they're safer. Um, I just think Swift has a higher ceiling, though, because I mean, he was a good looking pro. I mean, a lot of people had him as the best running back in last year's class. You know, I had him behind Jonathan Taylor, but, you know, he, he's a guy. We all liked coming out. You know, he was an early second round pick. Again, he, he flashed as a rookie, even though, you know, the workload was in, inconsistent from time to time. But I just, you know, I I think he has a higher ceiling than, than the guys, than other running backs going in that area. I don't. I think they're all at least similar on upside. And I think maybe Miles Sanders has the highest ceiling, depending on how things go for everybody. I like Swift. I like Jamal Williams better, though, as a value, you know, you know where, where he's going in, this, in these drafts. Because I do think, again, he's going to play his role on the ground, you know, Swift, Swift's not going to be an 18 carry per game guy. There's going to be plenty left for Williams there. And again, I do think he's going to be involved in the passing game, you know, be, you know, not as much as DeAndre Swift, but enough to be a fantasy factor. Um, you know, he caught 25 plus passes in all four of his seasons in green Bay. He was fourth in uh PFF receiving grade a couple of years ago, dropped a bit this past season. He's also a very, one of the better pass blocking backs in the NFL. He's been first and seventh in uh PFF pass blocking grade over the past two seasons. So you know, he, he's going to be on the field when, when uh, Detroit needs that. Uh, and again, I, I just think these, you know, these Lions running backs could combine for like 20, 25% of the team's targets just because the wide receiver core is so weak. Yeah. I would not be at all surprised if they're among the league leaders in running back target share um, on to the other pass catcher notes, the guys who are actually meant to just catch passes. Like, like I said, Jared Goff better in the short to intermediate range. His deep ball passing has gotten worse over the past couple of years versus the early part of his career. That certainly does not match up well with the play styles of Brashad Perriman or Tyrell Williams, who the team imported this offseason. I guess the mark in their favor is that they're both going late enough that it doesn't really matter. If they don't work out, then you cut them for something else. But it's not a great situation for, for optimizing either of those players. You would then maybe turn and say, okay, that makes it good for Amon Ross St. Brown, who's not the downfield type, and maybe he can be the intermediate successor. My hesitation with that is, He's a fourth round pick. Maybe he's just nothing this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I think people are getting a little crazy with Amon Ross St. Brown, just, you know, see, seeing the supposed opportunity that he has in this wide receiver core. And again, I mean, there's a chance he leads these wide receivers in targets, but like you said, fourth round pick over the, over the past 10 seasons, only two fourth round rookie wide receivers have reached even 80 targets, only six uh, over the past 10 years have reached even 50 targets. So I mean, it's just, it's not a good history. If you drop into that fourth round, um, and again, even if I'm on raw, St. Brown sees 80 targets in that offense. Like how much is that really going to do for your fantasy team? Yeah. I mean, 80 targets in any offense is not attractive in Detroit. It's certainly not attractive. And I think that this team is going to rank among the league leaders in both running back target share and tight end target share. So there's not, there's only going to be a smaller pie remaining for the wideouts. So I just, I think once you get to the point where you're setting lineups, there's not going to be a whole lot to find in Detroit. I do like Tyrell Williams late in a best ball draft because I mean, even if you're a poor deep ball passer, you're going to hit some of them. And Tyrell Williams is the one guy there that has succeeded in terms of downfield and end zone um, production. You're actually required to like Tyrell Williams if you're on this podcast. Um, yeah, he, you know, he, he did get the he, – he got a one-year 
fully guaranteed for a million dollar deal. You know, not not a big deal, but you know, that's you got almost twice as much as Brashad Perriman got. So Detroit was obviously higher on you know bringing Tyrell Williams into town than they were Perriman. And of course, the biggest mark in his favor is going outside the top seventy at the position. So I'm investing nothing to to buy his physical upside. The spot where targets are definitely going to go, and the player who matches up with Jared Goff's play style is T.J. Hawkinson. He's easy to like, I think, from various standpoints here. Just volume. He already finished last year fifth in PPR points among tight ends, fifth at the position in targets. Then the Lions shed Marvin Jones. Kenny Galladay, Danny Amendola. The top returning wideout for the team is Quintez Cephas at 35 targets last year, 20 catches. And, you know, Quintez Cephas is also somebody to keep in mind if you find yourself eyeing the opportunity for Amon Ross St. Brown. Maybe he plays behind Quintez Cephas this year. But, you know, that aside for now, there's definitely the, the target upside for TJ Hawkinson plus the quarterback style that matches up better with his game than it does with the wideouts on the outside. For me, TJ Hawkinson is the clear number four tight end on draft boards this year. Yeah, he's four for me. You know, I, I think Pitts is close, and I I, th- I think I have Andrews closer to those guys than you do. But, yeah, he is tight end four for me, and targets is is the main argument in his favor. I mean, you know, he's Hawkinson's not going to out-target Kelsey. He's probably not going to out-target Waller. It wouldn't surprise me if he out-targets everyone else, including George Kittle. And, and beyond that, I mean, he I'll admit he hasn't looked like an elite player in the NFL so far. I mean, he was an elite prospect coming out. I mean, the Lions took him eighth overall. He had nice production at Iowa. He was an 85th percentile athlete. And, you know, he's been he's been good. He just scored the seventh most PPR points by a second-year tight end over the past 10 seasons now. So his career is off to a good start. I still think there's, you know, there, there's better to come. And Jason Witten has showed us, if nobody else, Jason Witten has showed us that you don't have to be an exciting prospect to produce big time <laughs> at tight end. TJ Hawkinson could see 35 more targets than Mark Andrews this year, which I think is the big argument for me against him. And then um, TJ Hawkinson versus Kyle Pitts is just a matter of, you know, third year, former first round pick versus first year, first round pick. Yep. I'm with you there. Who I like among Lions. I mean, Hawkinson's the biggest one. You have to pay up for him at this point, though. FFPC drafts. He is going at the 3-4 turn in ADP. You'll see him going in round three. You might see him in round four. I think if you get him available to you in round four go ahead and jump on him because even though tight end four you wouldn't say that's strong value um you know overall versus the position he's a good two three rounds behind the top three at that position so i think that makes it a better value than you might think just by positional adp yeah i think hawkinson is fairly valued you know he as as much as i like the guy you know he's not someone i have a a ton of so far again i just i don't don't think he's dropping into like big time value range in a lot of these drafts he's kind of going where he should. I think he's fine if you take him in ADP. Um, Jamal Williams is my, is my favorite lion. He's the, he's definitely the guy I have the most of. I actually have quite a bit of Jamal Williams. You know, he's a uh, running back 44 in ADP again. I think, um, you know, th- the efficiency might not be pretty in this offense, but I think he's going to get enough volume to pretty easily beat that price tag. Yes, he's my highest owned lion. Uh, Hawkinson was a better value earlier before more people got on him. I do think that as we move to lineup setting, he gets more attractive because he's going to be the guy that I think will get eight plus targets most weeks and you can comfortably put in your lineup and not have to rely on somebody like Mark Andrews, you know, who's going to go up and down week to week, depending on touchdowns more on the who I don't side. I've already mentioned him. DeAndre Swift is better in round three. Still not somebody that I'm chasing because I prefer Miles Sanders and Chris Carson. Yeah, I got, uh, Swift RB16 and FFPC ADP. I think that's exactly where he sits in our rankings. So, again, I, I'm fine with him in the late third round, anywhere in the fourth. Uh, you know, Jared Goff is someone I'm just not taking. He's cheap, but there's just no 
upside. And especially if you're still drafting best ball, you know, you want a chance at those spike weeks. I don't think you're going to get those from Goff in Detroit this year. Yeah. If he wasn't given spike weeks with the Rams and he wasn't last year, then he's not going to do it with the Lions. On to the Green Bay Packers. Relevant coaching changes front, nothing. Third season of Matt LaFleur as the head coach and Nathaniel Hackett as the OC. The offense jumped from 18th in yards and 15th in points in 2019 to 5th and 1st, respectively, last year. 8th in overall offensive DVOA to 1st. The number one pass offense in last year in DVOA, 5th best on the ground. They were top 10 in each area the year before. So we were coming off 2019 and saying – these Packers are going to regress because their offense wasn't as good as it seemed by their yep. record. Well, all they did was get more efficient last year on offense. They got better. They're bound for some regression this year, but it's clearly a good offense under Matt LaFleur. Yeah, big jump in year two, like you said. Now, I, I'm going to look into that. I feel like a lot of these offenses you know, kind of disappoint in their first year with a new play caller, or new head coach, no OC, whatever it is. And then in year two, everyone's kind of off them, and they kind of take that step forward. So that might be something – to look into, you know, as far as, you know, potentially undervalued offenses uh, heading into 2021. Run pass split, 59.7% pass in 2019, 55.3% last year. I just split the difference on that. I went with 57.5% for this season, basically just assuming that they're not going to win 13 games every single season. Of course, right. things will change if the complicated fella doesn't show up. <laughs> yeah, so I actually looked into this, you know, why their pass rate sunk by well, about four and a half percentage points despite winning – uh, 13 games each of the last two seasons. Their situation neutral pass rate was basically the same both years. 60% situation neutral pass in 2019, 59% last year. They were just they were just leading for more snaps last year. They were leading for 57% of their snaps last year versus just 47% of their snaps in 2019. So I think they'll be closer to that 2019 level this year. So I took them back up to 58% pass this season. And yeah, again, that, that is assuming that Aaron Rodgers is there. So that brings us to QB notes, and it's complicated. The, the fact that Aaron Rodgers has not been traded to this point leaves me expecting that he will not be traded. I'm going to assume he shows up because, I mean, you leave that money, and he's there aren't that many seasons left for him. So I, obviously I don't know how he feels about his career. Maybe he's ready to call it quits. Maybe uh, – I, I don't know how important the issues are to him right now. I'm assuming that he's going to show up, so I'm happy to take the discount – on the peripheral guys, not peripheral, but his number one wide receiver and his number one running back here. Rodgers himself is due for some regression. Career high and league leading completion rate last year. Career high league leading uh, 48 touchdown passes. Career high and league leading touchdown rate, 9.1%. That is definitely coming down. 4.2%, 4.6% the previous two years. The median touchdown rate for him as a starter has been 5.9% for his career. So I would expect at least something down in that range. Last year also presented his highest yards per attempt since 2014, second best passer rating, and the best QBR of his career. Yeah, if you give him his career TD rate entering last season, last year he would have thrown only 32 touchdowns and he would have dropped a quarterback 11 in fantasy points. Um, now, you, know, you mentioned all his career highs he set last year. He also set a career high in PFF grade. So, you know, by, by most measures, it was his best season as a pro, which is crazy to think about considering how good he's been for, for so long and how old he was last season. But man, I mean, Rogers, he's been a top two fantasy quarterback now in eight of his 13 seasons as a starter. And two of the seasons he wasn't was when he missed a, a whole bunch of times. So he's just, he's been such a steady fantasy producer for so long. You know, he's a guy where you have to worry about the age, but I don't, I don't know if, if he you know shows up in August, I think, you know, he definitely belongs right in that, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, territory among quarterbacks. 
He's bound for regression just by luck and, you know, just by the fact that he's older and he's missing some offseason workouts. But that's being baked into his ADP even before the, the whole controversy bubbled to the surface. He was going close to the bottom of the top 12. I think it started sinking as we got through draft season. People are better at recognizing where regression is coming. So I think that Aaron Rodgers is appropriately priced at the bottom of the top 12. And I think as long as he stays in that range, he certainly will make sense for fantasy drafting throughout the summer. Yeah. I think he's fine where he's going. I, I prefer, I prefer Jalen hurts and Tom Brady for sure. And I, you know, at at this point I'm probably even taking Stafford over Rogers, at least until Rogers shows up. So, you know, I I haven't been drafting a ton of Rogers. Running back notes, Aaron Jones had the touchdown regression last year that we all expected, but still scored 11 total touchdowns, RB five and PPR in just 14 games. Saw just 50% of the team carries over his 16 contests, including the playoffs. We talked to TJ Hernandez the other night about that. Said that Aaron Jones is somebody up in those early rounds that makes him nervous on workload. But that was down from 59% in 2019. So a better rushing workload there. Jamal Williams is gone. Uh, The target share climbed for Aaron Jones last year from 11.7% in 2019 to 13.3%. So overall, for me, I'm not worried about Aaron Jones's workload share, especially because the biggest challenge to his targets has left town and the guy who has taken some red zone work from him over the past couple of years, Jamal Williams is gone. Yeah. I'm not scared at all to draft Aaron Jones anywhere around two. And I, I think he belongs like at the one, two turn. I mean, the risk is obviously what happens if Rogers isn't there, but you know, we, we could talk about if that be, becomes the case. I don't think it would hurt him a ton. I think it might you know grow his volume, you know, his efficiency would probably drop a bit, but um, assuming Rogers is there, you know, again, I, I think he belongs at around the one, two turn. He's been, top 15 in the NFL in carries in each of the last two seasons, despite missing some time. I think, he, I think he'll stay at least in that range. Like, I don't think AJ Dillon's going to carry more than Jamal Williams was the past couple seasons. And I think Aaron Jones target share should definitely grow because AJ Dillon is not going to play the same role in the passing game that Jamal Williams did. So, and then, you know, the, talk about the touchdown thing. The, the reason his touchdowns dropped last year is because Green Bay was just throwing it so much more often inside the five yard line. If you, you know, if you watch Packers games, you know, they were inside the five. It was Rodgers to Adams like every time. So, you know, maybe that shifts back in Jones's favor. He's shown us, you know, he has the upside to score 15 plus times. Yeah. And if we expect this offense to remain efficient, and I think we do, even with regression, that's bound to balance out some where it's coming down from 48 passing touchdowns, but still mm-hmm. probably staying on the positive side versus league average and total touchdowns. So that should help Aaron Jones from a scoring standpoint. We've alluded to the backfield changes behind him or next to him, depending on how you want to look at it. Jamal Williams was allowed to walk in free agency, sign with the Lions. A.J. Dillon is the new number two. Different player type than Jamal Williams. Big guy, fast for his size, no proven receiving ability. I mean, if you watch some Packers tape, you can see them trying to run him on stuff like wheel routes. So he will be involved in the passing game to some degree, but... This is a guy that caught 21 total passes across three years as a workhorse back at Boston College. So expecting significant receiving from A.J. Dillon this year, I think would be a mistake. Yeah, definitely a mistake. And even on the ground. I mean, so Jamal Jamal Williams averaged uh, 6.8 carries per game over the past two seasons when he was healthy alongside Aaron Jones. I I think that's about a fair projection for A.J. Dillon this season. You know, the question for me is will he – steal goal line carries from Aaron Jones because, you know, Dylan is that big back. Um, I'm kind of leaning no, though, because, you know, Jones has been effective at the goal line. But yeah, that's something I'll be looking for in training camp. Especially for a team that likes to throw down in that range, though, is Aaron Jones is both a rushing and receiving option 
down there. If you put in AJ Dillon, you start giving him a bigger share of those goal line touches. You're telegraphing what you're going to do when he's in the game. So uh, I, you know, he'll be involved obviously, but I, I would be surprised if the Packers say you're our new goal linebacker. Yeah. I mean, so to me, if we don't think he's going to play a big role in the passing game and he's not going to be the goal linebacker, you know, I, I, to me, Dylan's just a handcuff. I don't think he's going to have any standalone value when Aaron Jones is healthy. Yeah. I, I think that there's the possibility for him to have some standalone value, but I would guess that it will be less than Jamal Williams, which was not strong last year um, behind them. Kylan Hills, the rookie, he was a good pass catcher at the end of his college career. He didn't do it for a whole lot of time, though, so we'll have to see. I think it's worth watching during camp what the Packers think of him. If we start getting some buzz about them liking him in the passing game, maybe there's some work available for him. Maybe that takes away from A.J. Dillon. Until then, I mean, I think we're basically looking at this as a two-back system. I think so, unfortunately. You know, I don't think any, anything may be more sad during this year's draft than Kylan Hill dropping to the seventh round. I'm still intrigued by you know him when you look at the size and the pass-catching ability, but seventh rounder, he's obviously a long shot. Yeah. Uh, Kylan Hill, Dexter Williams is the other guy back there. He spent most of last year on the practice squad. So, again, we're, we're looking at A.J. Dillon. We're looking at Aaron Jones and everybody else. You kind of will see if they become a thing. Pass catcher notes, Devontae Adams and then everybody else way behind him. He led the league at 28.3% target share last year despite missing two games. It was 33% over his 15 full games, including the playoffs, 30% in 2019. So this guy is a target hog. Yeah, 10.6 targets per game last year, 10.6 targets per game in 2019, 11.3 targets per game in 2018. So you know he's, he's the best volume bet in the NFL, you know, assuming Aaron Rodgers is back. Um, obviously, Adams with the 18 touchdowns last year, that you know was a big part of his fantasy production. It was actually the third most receiving touchdowns in NFL history. That's obviously coming down, but I mean, his his usage near the end zone was crazy and almost makes you want to say like the touchdowns aren't going to come down by a lot. He had 23 red zone targets. That was five more than any other player in the NFL. He had 20 targets inside the 10-yard line. That was six more than any other player in the NFL. So, you know, the, the usage, you know, was a big part of, the, of that, you know, 18 receiving touchdowns. It wasn't as fluky as you might think. He can cut his touchdowns in half and still be Michael Thomas is the thing. Is that, I mean, there's regression coming, but don't worry about it. And, and the Aaron Rodgers uncertainty right now is pushing Devontae Adams into round two. If yeah. Aaron Rodgers comes back, and I, it's certainly what I would bet on at this point, Devontae Adams I think is going to look like a ridiculous value in round two. Where where would you draft him if we know Rodgers is not playing this season? If we know he's not playing, I still think yeah. he's a, a late round two pick because he's still going to be the 30% target guy for Jordan right. Love. And somebody looked back at, at non-Aaron Rodgers games for Devontae Adams and still found him to be the a, a productive wide receiver one for the Packers. I got those. I got those. It was um, seven games in 2017 with Brett Hundley. Like, I know, you know, I know we don't like Jordan Love, but I don't think he's going to be worse than Brett Hundley. Um, and in those seven games, Adams averaged 8.7 targets, 5.9 catches, 70 yards, and 0.6 touchdowns. You know, that's that's like a borderline wide receiver one, I would think. Um, so, yeah, I think late second, early third, maybe mid-third round, like, you know, Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen kind of territory, I think is where Adams would, would be dropping to if Rodgers was definitely out for the year. Yeah, if I'm being honest, I probably he's he's a guy that I would look at late in round two and think he belongs here, but this other guy's here, so I'll yeah. take this other guy and see what happens. Yeah, I, I would take Justin Jefferson over Devontae Adams if there if there's no Rodgers, but 
let's hope that we at least find out for sure what's going to happen either way before we're into those, you know, really high pressure August drafts. But it'll be interesting to see where Devontae Adams goes if we still don't know about Aaron Rodgers come like August 10th. Definitely. Behind Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, just 54th among wideouts in PPR scoring last year, tied for 66th at the position in targets. Alan Lazard actually beat him in targets in their 12 shared games, 14.9% to 12.2% target share for those two guys. The big addition is third-round pick Amari Rogers, who looks like a slot receiver, looks like a bigger threat to Alan Lazard than he does to MVS. Yes, that was my takeaway here too. Um, you know, both, both kind of in play style and Lazard's much bigger than Rogers, but I think they're, they're similar in play style. They're both primary slot guys. I mean, Lazard played 52% of his snaps in the slot last year. So he, he was, you know, moving in and out, but I do think MVS just gives this wide receiver core something that the rest of the guys don't in that deep speed. So I, I think MVS is kind of the other outside wide receiver along with Devonta Adams. And it's going to be Lazard and Amari Rogers kind of battling for that primary slot role. MBS is a guy, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with him in lineup setting leagues, but I've actually been taking him a decent amount in best balls. You know, he, he had five games of 17 plus PPR points last year. You know, he does have those spike weeks. Yeah, I think he's fine where he's going in a best ball draft. I want no part of him if I have to set a lineup because you just can't um, bet on what he's going to do unless it's a deep league and you stick him in your lineup as a fourth receiver and you, you're okay with taking zeros. Um, Robert Tunyon is the other pass catcher to talk about here. Obvious regression candidate, just like Aaron Rodgers, and even more so, 88% catch rate last year, 21% touchdown rate when you're looking at touchdowns versus receptions. Drafters, though, have been treating that appropriately. Like I said, we've all gotten better at recognizing regression and baking it into ADPs. He does seem like he's rebounded, though, in ADP and rebounded in a negative way, I would say, because there was a stretch where Robert Tonyan was going tight end 14, tight end 15. And there it's like, okay, fine. If you're going to be a red zone option for Aaron Rodgers and one of the primary ones, I'll go ahead and take you right there. Now he's up to tight end 12 in FFPC drafting, tight end 10 in best ball 10. So that's a little bit too rich for me. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, tight end 15 is a spot I'd consider him. I haven't, you know, been able to get him there yet. You know, talk about Adam's, red zone role kind of matching the touchdowns Robert Tunyon's red zone role did not match his touchdowns you know he, he tied for the lead 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 the league lead among tight ends with those 11 touchdowns he was just 16th among tight ends in red zone targets he was just 12th among tight ends in end zone targets so he, you know it was just a case of him being super efficient on those looks that he got you can't expect that to continue even with Aaron Rodgers, I uh, you know the total volume. He was just 24th among tight ends in total targets. And his role didn't grow over the course of the season. Um, if you just look at Green Bay's last five games, including their uh, playoffs, he averaged just three targets per game in those five games. So his volume is just going to have to grow quite significantly, significantly for him to you know pay off his ADP right now. Jay Sternberger has disappointed, but we are heading into just his third season. So there's a chance. I'm not going to say there's a chance he passes Tunyon this year, although I guess that's a range of outcomes kind of thing. But there's certainly a chance that he cuts into Robert Tunyon's role. A chance. I'll give you that. Who do you like among these Packers and drafts right now? Um, Aaron Jones is my favorite. Um, you know, I have him at RB 14 and ADP going in the mid second round again, to me, that's, you know, five, six picks lower than he should be going. And maybe some of the Aaron Rodgers stuff is baked in, but even if Rodgers isn't in green Bay, I think, you know, Aaron Jones should be a mid second round pick. He's going right now. So I kind of think you're just getting all upside at this point. Um, kind of the same story with Devonta Adams. He's going in the same range in the middle of the second. I like him there. And then again, Marcus Valdez Scantling in best ball leagues. Uh, he has a 23rd round. 
ADP and FF, FFPC basketballs. I just think, you know, for that format, he gives you more weekly upside than most of the other receivers going in that territory. I think I'd probably take Aaron Jones more round three if there's no Aaron Rodgers there because yeah. the, I think the touchdown efficiency is coming way down if it goes from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. Um, but I agree that I like him there because I'm assuming that Aaron Rodgers is going to play. And the depressed ADP makes Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, an attractive best ball stack for me, I think. Because if you knew right now that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams were playing this season, they would probably be something like QB8 and wide receiver one. Devontae Adams would be going – middle of round one, and he'd be the kind of guy that you felt like you were stealing if you got him at 11th overall. So if you can take him in round two, you can get Aaron Rodgers as maybe the 12th quarterback off the board. There's lots of value in, in pairing those guys right now. Yeah, if, you, if you're doing a bunch of these basketball drafts, I think you know you definitely want to mix in some Packers stacks at these prices. Who do you dislike among Green Bay players? Um, A.J. Dillon I have not been drafting. He's at RB42. Um, he's going ahead of Jamal Williams, ahead of Daryl Henderson. I definitely prefer those two guys. I like Latavius Murray, you know, at least just as much as Dylan. He's going later. Naheem Hines going later than Nadia Dylan. So uh haven't been drafting Dylan. And then again, haven't been drafting Robert Tunyon at his, you know, tight end 12 uh, ADP on FFPC. I think AJ Dylan's extremely similar to Latavius Murray in that they're both sharing backfields with, you know, pass run hybrids yeah. who are better than they are and have that handcuff upside plus, you know, some slight standalone value. <laughs> Yeah, again, I think they're similar in value. Murray's just going later. And I guess I think there's just a, a you know, I, I think Murray might give you a couple extra usable weeks in best ball than Dylan just because he at least does a bit in the passing game. Yeah, we'll see. Um, Dylan's somebody that I'm mixing in, certainly not a specific target for me. The the guys that I'm not drafting are really the the passing game pieces beyond Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. I, I'm not going overrate on Rodgers, but behind that, I'm not sure if I've drafted any MVS, not interested in Mari Rogers, not interested in Alan Lazard. And I, I might've taken like a share or two of Tunyon at some point when he was in the mid teens among tight ends. That's fair. On to the Minnesota Vikings, Jared, what do we have on the coaching front there? So head coach Mike Zimmer back for his eighth season, but a change at offensive coordinator here. We have Gary Kubiak out and his son, Clint Kubiak in. Um, I spent way too much time digging into Clint Kubiak uh, yesterday morning. Interesting path. Though. Like I had kind of assumed he had just been riding his dad's coattails like around the NFL. That really hasn't been the case. Um, he started as an assistant coach at Texas A&M, actually crossed paths there with Cliff Kingsbury for I think it was just a year. Um, then he was the Vikings assistant coach in 2013 and 2014, but that was under offensive coordinators Bill Musgrave and North Turner. Um, Kevin Stefanski, by the way, was also there, I believe, as Minnesota's quarterbacks coach. And then um, Kubiak later, you know, worked under Stefanski in 2019 in Minnesota. So, you know, I think Stefanski might have as much influence here as Gary Kubiak does on Clint, but, um, you know, a guy who hasn't called plays at the NFL level. So we're you're kind of going in blind here looking at the Vikings offense. I expect it to, you know, not divert too much from what we saw in Minnesota last season. Yeah, of course, Gary Kubiak was also on the staff of those 2019 Vikings as an assistant head coach. I'm glad that Clint Kubiak and Cliff Kingsbury have not locked up because the double K is together, I think might rip a hole in the time-space continuum. Um, there's history with Clint Kubiak, with the Vikings. We know that Mike Zimmer gets pissed off if you don't run the ball enough. So I think we should expect, based on that, based on Clint being Gary Kubiak's son and Gary Kubiak offenses being run friendly historically, I think we should assume that the Minnesota Vikings are going to stay pretty similar to what they've been in recent years offensively. 
Yep, I think so. Uh, you know, they were 54.3% pass last year. That was 27th in the NFL. They were actually 30th in situation neutral pass rate. I did bring them up a tad to 56%. You know, that's still definitely in the bottom half of the league. But, I mean, you, you did just have Justin Jefferson set the, you know, rookie record for receiving yards. So I think, you know, I don't think they're going to be, you know, a top five run heavy team. I have them moving a bit, bit more towards the pass this season. I stuck with 54-46 from last year because I think that they'll be a better team than last year, so they'll be able to play from ahead more often. They've got guys healthier and back from opt-outs on defense. They've added some pieces there, so I think the defense will be much better. I think overall it'll be a better team, again, that's playing with more leads. So 54-46, my split for the the pass run for projections. QB notes, Jared, what do you got on Kirk Cousins, who I feel like you like him better this year than you ever have before. Why, why did I get this like title as a, a Kirk Cousins hater? I think if anybody listens back to the history of the podcast, they could chart it pretty clearly. Yeah, I think yeah, I think early last year I was against them because the volume was so low. But yeah, he ended up having a, a really nice season. He was quarterback eleven in fantasy points. He uh, had the tenth most quarterback one week, so you know he was pretty reliable. You know, from a you know season long lineup setting perspective, and his second half of the season was much more productive than his first half. So again, you know, his attempts went from twenty six point one per game over the first eight weeks up to thirty eight point four. Over the final eight games, he averaged 301 yards and two and a half touchdowns per game over those final eight. He was quarterback three in fantasy points over that stretch. And again, this is another reason I took their pass rate up a little bit is they were 49% pass in neutral situations in those first eight games, up to 59% pass in uh, situation neutral situations um, over the final eight. So, you know, they're again, and I think it has to do with Justin Jefferson. You know, they saw this guy producing like he was and they did lean more towards the pass over the second half. You would like to think so. You'd like to think that they would react <laughs> to having the stud rookie wide out, plus, you know, some talent at the tight end position. So wouldn't be surprised if we get a little bit more passing volume here. Kirk Cousins been the starter now for three seasons, eighth in the league in touchdown rate over that span, 13th in yards per pass attempt, ninth among quarterbacks in total fantasy points, but drops to 17th in points per game. Low volume overall, up from 24th in pass attempts, in 2019, the 15th last season overall. We'll see if the second half of last year trends into this year. As you mentioned, though, the, the Vikings' third lowest situation neutral early down pass rate last year. So I think that we should plan on a little bit more passing volume. As you said previously, though, I don't think it's going to be a whole lot more. How much of an effect that has on Kirk Cousins could be mitigated by him having good wideouts and being efficient when he does throw the ball. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you're going to get top five season out of Kirk Cousins, but I also think, you know, that that's baked into his ADP, and I, I do think he's a bit undervalued where he's going, so he, he is a guy I've been drafting a decent amount of. Yeah, if I could see past Justin Fields, I'd probably have more Kirk Cousins <laughs> at this point. That's Running funny. back notes, Dalvin Cook, third largest carry share in the league last year, and he missed two and a half games. 73.6% share in his 14 games. That would have been highest in the league, even higher than Derrick Henry for the season. Target share down from 16% to 12.3%, but that number even still would have been good for fifth at the position over the full season last year. So Dalvin Cook is one of the biggest workhorses in the league. He definitely is. Um, and per your running back scoring review article, top 24 finish in all 14 of his games last season. He also led all running backs with six finishes inside the top five. So, you know, high floor, high ceiling. The only concern is the injury stuff. And I'm not going to worry about that. You know, most running backs are injury risks. But, you know, when Cook is on the field, he is, you know, likely only behind Christian McCaffrey as far as at least, you know, PPR scoring this season. 
Yeah. He's not Will Fuller on the injury front. He's not missing five plus games to hamstring injuries every year. So uh, don't skip on Dalvin cook because of the injury risk. Uh, for me, he's the clear number two running back. And I, it's basically been a lock every time I get the second pick in a draft to this point, Alexander Madison behind him, a strict handcuff, like not even up to the level of Latavius Murray, where there might be some standalone value. And that to me makes Alexander Madison a huge, no thanks, whether I drafted Dalvin cook or not. Yep, me too. Um, and even last year, I mean, he got those two games with Cook's sideline, and he came through big in, I think it was week 17, right? Yeah, against the Lions, uh, 95 yards and a score on the ground, 50 yards and a score receiving. But then the other game, Cook missed, you know, Madison killed you. He carried 10 times for 26 yards and only caught one pass. So, you know, he, he's not even, like, proven as a handcuff if Cook does miss time. Um, Amir, Amir Abdul is back. They added Kenne and Wangwu. It's, it's still Madison's job probably, but at least a situation to watch this summer. Yeah, Madison is a is the poster boy for why you should not bother drafting handcuff running backs. Sure, it'll make sense at some point, but Dalvin Cook goes down. It's not Dalvin Cook 2.0 when Alex, right. Alexander Madison takes the field. You can look at the second half of that Seattle game. I think he had a good game there where Dalvin Cook left that one early. If you want to find spots where it makes sense, you can find the information to support that. But overall, it just doesn't. He's not Dalvin Cook. He's not going to replace the production when Dalvin Cook goes down. Yep. Pass catcher notes, historic season for Justin Jefferson. So does that make him a regression candidate? You have all the good notes on Jefferson, you know, as far as the touchdown potential. I'll let you handle those. But, yeah, I mean, he finished top four across fantasy scoring formats last season, and that was despite – not doing much the first two weeks when he was like still a, a part-time player. Um, so just insanely good season for Justin Jefferson. I'll let you take it away with some of the touchdown stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to give away all of it right here because it's in his player profile on draftsharks.com. It's in the Justin Jefferson video that you can find on our YouTube and elsewhere. So it, it's all there. There's some regression in that he was so good and efficient last year that maybe it happens this year. But there's also still some upside because Justin Jefferson did not max out his touchdown potential last year. First of all, he and Adam Thielen both got plenty of targets. They both ranked top 20 in target share, even though Adam Thielen missed a couple games. Jefferson checked in seventh among all wide receivers in target share last year. Despite not being a starter for the Vikings until week three, he beat Thielen 25% to 22% in target share in their shared games after he became the starter in week three. So he's already the target leader for this team that even though it's a low volume passing offense, it's a concentrated passing offense. The targets are going to these guys and very few are going to anyone else in the wide receiver core. Now he gets a full season after doing that rookie year damage in basically just 14 games. And the most significant positive regression potential is in his touchdown numbers. Adam Thielen saw a bunch of red zone and a bunch of end zone targets last year scored on a lot of them at a high rate. Justin Jefferson saw a decent amount of work down there scored at a relatively low rate. Again, you can go to his player profile on our site. You can go to the Justin Jefferson video, but basically unless he or the offense crash, I think Justin Jefferson will at least be fine and similar in terms of the work he gets this year. And there's big upside in his touchdown potential. Yep, I'm I'm in on Jefferson, you know, at the end of round two and anywhere in round three. Um, let, let's go to Thielen, who you mentioned there. I mean, 14 touchdowns on 74 catches, obviously in for some regression there. That's a 19% touchdown rate. And Thielen's always been a higher than average touchdown rate guy. Um, you know, he, he scored on 10.5% of his catches over his previous two seasons 
with Kirk Cousins. You know, that's like two and a half percentage points above the league average. So there's some touchdown regression coming there. You know, like Devontae Adams, though, Thielen's usage around the, around the end zone was crazy last season. He led the NFL with uh, 20 end zone targets. He was 11th in targets inside the red zone. So I still think you can project them, you know, to score at an above average rate. And yeah, Justin Jefferson is, you know, he emerged as Minnesota's number one wide receiver last season. He's going to continue be, to be the number one receiver this season, but, you know, still a 21 and a half percent target share for Adam Thielen, even, you know, when Justin Jefferson, you know, broke out over the, you know, the final 14 games of last season. So he's not, he's not an exciting guy to draft, but I, I still think he's actually a bit undervalued in fantasy drafts at ADP right now. Yeah, there's definite obvious regression coming to the touchdowns this year, even if he stays as involved in the red zone because he got he just scored on such a high percentage of his end zone targets. But that's baked in. He's going wide receiver 25. And, I, I, you know, I mentioned it, but the third wide receiver here is Chad Beebe, who got 30 <laughs> targets last year. So it's Adam Thielen, it's Justin Jefferson, and then it's like, yeah, we'll throw a few balls to the other guys. So at wide receiver 25, there's plenty of upside as Thielen has already showed us multiple times. Yep. I think he's, you know, 19th or 20th in our wide receiver ranking. So at tight end, Kyle Rudolph is gone. Irv Smith and Tyler Conklin remain. I haven't been as high on Irv Smith, basically pretty much at any point since he entered the league as you are, but uh, it, it's, it, it has to help him that Kyle Rudolph is gone, right? Definitely. I mean, if you ask Mike Zimmer, he's going to tell you that it's going to help Tyler Conklin more than, than, uh, Irv Smith, you know, that was a big Zimmer quote from probably a month ago now. That, by the way, has sunk Irv Smith's ADP. He is um, tight end 13 on FFPC now. I think he was like tight end 10 a month or two ago. So I, I was actually not drafting much of him, you know, when he was kind of at his peak price. I, I like him, you know, at tight end 13 now. Um, you know, his production didn't really make a big jump from year one to year two, but he did improve in yards per target and yards per route run in pro football focus receiving grade. You know, I remember he entered the league as a super young prospect. So, you know, I think a promising first two seasons, definitely his biggest opportunity yet with Kyle Rudolph gone. So, you know, again, at, at um, you know, at a borderline tight end one price tag, I think Irv Smith uh, makes sense in drafts right now. The Mike Zimmer quote that you mentioned is from June via ESPN's Courtney Cronin. When Zimmer was asked about Smith's role growing now that Kyle Rudolph is gone, Zimmer said, quote, I think it's a bigger role for Tyler Conklin. He's kind of emerged as a guy that's moving upward. And with those two guys, we have a lot of weapons there. Irv always has been able to do what he's been able to do, whether Kyle was here or not. So to me, that says Irv Smith's role might not grow this year versus what it was the past two years. I think in his third season, we should expect, you know, some sort of ascension, whether he's more efficient or whatever he does better. He w- he certainly has a higher ceiling than Tyler Conklin. Beat Conklin in average depth of target last year, 8.9 yards to 4.2. So, you know, doubles him there. And that's an improvement over what Irv Smith had his first year, where his eight out was shorter than Kyle Rudolph's. And I believe it was short of six yards that year. So they at least moved Irv Smith's targets further downfield last year. And I agree, at tight end 13, his, his expectations are not out of control. It's an okay ADP. Vikings tight ends, though, last year ranked 25th, 34th, 43rd in PPR points per game. Collectively, the group 17th in PPR points at tight end last year, 13th in 2019, 17th in 2018. That's Kirk Cousins' three seasons as the starter. So, I mean, overall, I, I'm not going to say that Irv Smith's a bad pick at tight end 13, but it's just not a situation that intrigues me when I think there are other guys in that range that have higher ceilings. What about Tyler Conklin? Are you taking any of him super late? 
I haven't just because we get to that point and I'm taking guys like Mo Ali Cox and Chris Herndon. Yeah, I prefer Mo Ali Cox. I don't know. I've, I'm 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 kind of jumping ship on Herndon after you know what sounded like a, a rough spring. Yeah, I've taken Conklin a few times. Definitely best ball only. I think you know season long he's not going to be an option for you without an Irv Smith injury. But I think late in best ball, especially you know 28 round FFPC drafts. I um, mean, you know he out targeted Irv Smith last year, 21 to 20 uh, over those four games that. Kyle Rudolph missed. And even the pass routes were pretty close. It was 118 routes for Irv Smith to 106 for Tyler Conklin. So, you know, and again, you talk about the fact that there's you know, no number three wide receiver here. I think we are going to see a lot of two tight end sets out of the Vikings. So, you know, Conklin should be on the field plenty alongside Irv Smith. Yeah. And I can see Conklin in that late range at tight end, but I mean, there are just so many players available, even if the two that I mentioned aren't guys that you like. I mean, I, I can get Blake Jarwin as a third tight end at tight end 20, uh, there are other players who are eluding my grasp right now, but it's, it's OJ uh, Howard. OJ Howard's a guy I've been taking late now. Yeah. So, I mean, you can get down there and be like, oh, yeah, there's that guy, there's that guy, there's that guy. I mean, Eric Ebron is outside of the, the top 20 at tight end at this point. So, there are just, there are so many names to pick from when you get into that range for a third tight end. Yep. That's fair. Who do you like among Vikings and drafts? Uh, most of them, honestly. Again, I mean, none are like screaming valleys, but I think they're all, they're all, Guys, I'll consider at ADP and definitely if they drop beyond ADP. I mean, Kirk Cousins at quarterback 16 uh, on FFPC. He's actually quarterback 19 on underdog. So, you know, that's probably the spot to target Kirk Cousins. Um, Adam Thielen, probably the biggest value, I think, again, like you said, wide receiver 25 on FFPC, wide receiver 23 on underdog. And then Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson, you know, I think are you know going where they should be. And I will take Cook at two and I will take Jefferson, you know, around the two, three turn. Yes, uh, Dalvin Cook and the top two wideouts are my favorite Vikings. Dalvin Cook is an auto pick for me at two. I've tried to convince myself to not take him every single time, but it hasn't worked yet, so I need to build a better case for it. I don't think any of them are truly underrated, even Thielen. Uh, at wide receiver 25, I don't think he's really you know, significantly underrated. We do have him projected higher than that, and his ceiling is definitely higher than that. But uh, I think it's an appropriate range, but he's an attractive player at that point. I definitely have been trying to mix in shares of him. On the who I don't side... Nobody I truly dislike, but Irv Smith's the one guy that I really haven't been drafting much. And like I said, I don't, I don't see the ceiling potential on either him or Tyler Conklin unless the other one goes down. Yeah, Madison to me is the only dislike on the Vikings. Yeah, you know, and I'm not not taking him, especially in best ball when he's just not going to help you at all without Cook going down. Yeah, Madison is the the zero share for me player. Probably I, I dislike him so much I didn't even think about him when I was <laughs> doing this category. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> That's going to do it for this NFC North edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. You can see full projections and profiles for each of the players that we addressed in this episode, plus everyone else that will factor into your fantasy drafts. Check out our podcast from Wednesday night with TJ Hernandez from 4 for 4. You can find that on our site, on YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can always find us on Twitter, as well as the free DraftSharks Discord. So jump in there. Send us your questions. Show us your teams. Talk to us about what you got going on. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.